0: You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 and 11 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. We begin this Monday with our conversation with the political junkie Ken Rudin. Welcome. Good to talk to you again.
1: Good morning, Carrie.
0: Ken, as you know, there were a lot of dramatic declarations in this fight over Kavanaugh that this was the end of true bipartisanship and the Senate and things would be different forever after there was a before and after. Do you think there is something to that?
1: Well, yeah, yes and no. And the reason I say that is because I don't know if there was. We talk about the end of bipartisanship. I mean, we could say that the end of bipartisanship came with the Bork hearings, with Clarence Thomas, with Bush versus Gore. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that the the, the two, two parties were so were very friendly coming into this. But this was every time we go through some crisis like this, it seems to get worse and worse. And this really tore. Not only tore apart the country, it tore the Senate in half. And I would suspect that given the fact that most senators knew how they were voting even before there was a, an announced uh, a nominee for the court, uh, you know that partisanship is taking over.
0: Uh, I, I see that Senator Susan Collins is saying uh, when she was asked by reporters in Maine over the weekend that she has had many people call her and thank her for her vote. If Democrats were under any... Lingering illusion that Susan Collins was, you know, was ever going to support their core causes. That seemed to end with her vote for Kavanaugh, didn't it?
1: Not only did it seem to end, but it it seemed to end the pretense of of her saying that she was really torn by right. this nomination. When I heard uh, Lisa Murkowski, the one Republican who voted no, when I heard her comments, she seemed very anguished and torn, and and talked about what was happening to the Senate. When I listened, and I listened to uh, the, the, to um, uh, Susan Collins' entire forty-four minute speech on the Senate floor. It sounds like her mind was made up a long time ago. It did, she said, didn't Yes, it? I, I, I believe uh, uh, Christine Blasey Ford, but I just think she was mistaken. I mean, that's, that's kind of a backhanded compliment there somewhere. But when I listened to everything she said, she basically laid out the argument for Kavanaugh's confirmation, did not sound like she was conflicted whatsoever.
0: Brett Kavanaugh wrote an op ed uh, in the Wall Street Journal before the vote, but, but I think it applies to now what, what we'll see about. How he behaves on the on the court. I am an independent, impartial judge. I mean, it, it is obvious that even he knows that he played some role in the damage to the reputation of the court, no matter what kind of responsibility he does or doesn't accept in this alleged sexual assault. Some of what he said in the hearings, it sounds like he now wishes he hadn't said it.
1: Well, I don't know if he wishes he hadn't said it or not, but when he said that this is a a battle led by the left-wingers, by the Clintons, by those unhappy with the 2016 election, that did not sound independent, that did not sound impartial, that sounded like a very... Political statement for for uh, for a member for soon to be a member of the Supreme Court that always prides itself on being above politics. So I think what what the conservatives' greatest hope was and what the liberals' greatest fear was uh, came to fruition with that confirmation vote because he sounded very partisan, very political, and again. Uh, you know everybody's gonna be watching. Matter of fact, this vote is not. This vote, while it was officially over fifty to forty-eight, doesn't mean the fight is still over. Because right. believe it or not. They're still talking about imp- – they, they, some opponents Some opponents on the left are still talking about impeachment. They're still talking about getting that those documents that were hidden from them during Kavanaugh's time in the Bush administration. They're still the, – the battle is not over even though the vote is certainly over.
0: I was going to ask you about this, Ken, that if Democrats take the House back, there is talk that there will be investi- further investigations into the documents that were withheld – And, you know, other witnesses that were willing to be interviewed and never were by the FBI on these sexual assault allegations. I mean, talk about a not ending. This could go on for another couple of years if the Democrats take the House.
1: And Republicans are making that an issue in the 29 days to go before the election. They're saying that if the sore loser Democrats uh, take over uh, after November 6th, well, we're going to have more and more investigation, more and more subpoenas, and even talk about an impeachment. And, of course, you all remember uh, the last time um, a, a Supreme Court just, justice was impeached and removed from office. That was never. <laughs> so, um, so I mean, but but the Republicans are trying to... Excite their base the way that Democrats have been excited for perhaps nearly two years, uh, given the the, starting with the women's march the day after Trump's inauguration. But conservatives are getting very excited and and, and energized by this Kavanaugh debate as well. We're seeing more and more crowds coming out for Republican candidates. We're finding more and more Democratic senators, like Heidi Heidkamp of North Dakota, among others, uh, on the defensive. So what looked like was going to be a good political uh, uh, advantage for the Democrats. Now I wonder what's going to happen in the less than one month to go before the election.
0: Political junkie Ken Rudin is with us, as he always is, on Monday mornings. And we're talking to him about the Kavanaugh vote over the weekend and some of the politics that surround the upcoming midterms about a month away. President Trump, Ken, has been telling voters to pretend That he's on the ballot uh, in the midterms and he's saying this in places like Alabama and Kentucky where he remains pretty popular. I would think there are some states who went for Trump two years ago, but where that that is now somewhat of a risky proposition where you've got maybe a, a large number of independent voters who do not see him as as popular anymore.
1: What do you think? Well that's definitely true but the fact remains is that he was always on the ballot a first term president is always on the ballot just as Barack Obama was in in 2010 just as Bill Clinton was in 1994 a lot of this of course is on is a referendum on the president and his first two years in office and so that's true but but the fact is is that while Trump remains wildly popular with republicans and among the most popular republican presidents Of all time, within his own Republican Party, more and more independents are shying away from him. I think for a lot of independents who said, well, uh, you know, I'm not crazy about Donald Trump, but I don't want Hillary Clinton, so I'll vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Those independents seem to be drifting away from the Republican Party towards the Democrats. And that's what, of course, what the Democrats' hopes are of of winning the House. And it's it's ironic when you're looking at the tea leaves in advance of November, November 6th, We're seeing some signs that that the Democrats are doing really well in House races because of everything that's gone on in the past two years and the Kavanaugh battle, Mm -hmm. but Republicans seem to be picking up some momentum in this battle for the Senate in states like Indiana and West Virginia and Montana and Missouri and Florida because of the Kavanaugh hearing. So... So, I mean, I don't know. You know, we we always talk about what's going to happen in Minnesota with those four congressional know, seats where yeah. Democrats could pick up two and Republicans could pick up We've got the double flip two. here, as I like to call it, Ken. Yeah. That's something, right? So, so basically that could be a microcosm of what's going on in the country.
0: I, I, I just want to follow up on what you said about when you look at polling and you look at independence and then you look at Trump's popularity among his core Republican base— I mean, does that does that just tell you about again about the kind of polarization that we see? What are these independents who said, as you've suggested, I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton, roll the dice on Trump. And what is it that they're seeing about Trump that in some ways is giving them buyer's remorse? Given the fact that well, republicans are are so enthusiastic about him,
1: for the most part, what independents have seen in the past two years in the past two years is not bad policy wise look he promised a conservative supreme court he 's given us a supreme court he 's promised a new attention to foreign policy, a more pro american foreign policy when it comes to Relationships and tariffs and trade and things like that, he's delivered. The stock market is booming. Unemployment is at a record low. So on paper, this could be a great argument for two more years of Republican uh, leadership and uh, Republican gains. But it's the personal stuff, the silly stuff, the pointless stuff, the 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 meanness, the the intemperate tweeting, the the personal attacks. That's what drives in the independence nuts. And so I think if, if there are going to be Democratic gains in on November sixth, a lot of it will be led by these independents who've just said two years of what we've seen so far is is enough.
0: Ken, I'm curious about what you take from some of these signs that are coming out of the Mueller team. That some of the lawyers are leaving. I mean, he still has a pretty big team of lawyers, but a few of them have left. Any any indication that that you're picking up that this might be coming to a conclusion?
1: I've said from the beginning that Robert Mueller is not looking at a calendar. He is not looking at when when the day of the midterms are. But uh, but unlike what James Comey did uh, eleven days before the election in 2016, I don't see Mueller. I I, I think Mueller is trying the best he can to avoid any kind of taint of politics. I don't think he would drop a bombshell in the remaining days before November 6th. Oh, but yes. I suspect that as you say that given the fact that he's gotten many guilty pleas, that he's gotten many indictments, um, he may have a case to go go forward. I just don't think it's going to happen before November 6th.
0: Ken, um, I, since we've been talking about 2016 here for a minute, I have to recommend uh, a an interview. I heard it in podcast. It was Fresh Air with the author of the new book about Facebook and democracy. And the reason I think you'd find this this interview really interesting is halfway through the interview, they get into the details of how Facebook went to the presidential campaigns and said, we've got these tools, we've got this data, we've got this information. We're willing to share that with you. Hire us and bring us in. The Clinton campaign said, no, we have a big digital operation and data uh, operation. We don't really need that. Trump's team, of course, was kind of like a shoestring and needed all the help it could get infrastructure-wise. And they brought Facebook in. And apparently one of the lead architects of the Trump win says we couldn't have done it without Facebook. It was fascinating about uh the sophistication of the targeting that Facebook could do and how beneficial that was to the Trump campaign. So I want to recommend that that to you. That
1: sounds like an amazing read. I am going to absolutely look forward to that. And that once again shows that the Hillary Clinton campaign for the most part, knew that it had the victory in the bag. Um, from all indications, they they were doing very fine. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm not going to go to Wisconsin. I'm not going go to Michigan. That's okay. We have those states won, and and it just also shows that the lack of organization, the lack of structure in the Trump organization would take would would be glad to take any kind of help it got. And and you're absolutely right. From what I've read about everything about what facebook was offering there was a just an amazing amount of documentation and 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 facts and and figures that would help any kind of campaign it's one more reason it seems why uh, the results in 2016 at least in the electoral college turned out the way they did
0: this was a recording of a live radio show on npr news to add your voice to our discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet Carrie at KERRIMPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all of our shows by subscribing to this podcast. If you have questions, you can email us at talk at mpr.org.